on chapter one in our study this Advent season. John chapter one, we're looking at the first 18 verses, what's often called the prologue to John's gospel. Our series is called Veiled in Flesh the Godhead See, which comes, of course, as we said last week from that great hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, about the incarnation of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, that first Christmas. Now, um, I went to the dentist this past week, and I have a great dentist, great dental hygienist, a very nice person, a little talkative, though, um, which is, can be a little bit awkward, right, when they're trying to carry on a conversation with you three inches from your face as they have their hands in your mouth. It could be a little awkward, but we were talking, and um, she asked, uh, so have you guys put up your Christmas tree yet? And I said, uh-huh, yeah, right. And she said, well, you guys get a fake tree or do you get a real tree? I said, well, presently we have a fake tree. And then she just looks at me. I couldn't see her whole face because she has a mask, but her eyebrows told me everything I needed to know. She was not happy with me. And she said, uh, you, get, you have a fake tree? You got to get a real tree. I mean, that just robs the spirit of Christmas to have a fake tree. Now, how many of you are with my dental hygienist? You're all about the real tree. You go, some of you, any of you go and cut your tree down yourself and put it in your house? Okay, there's some of you that are like that. How many of you are with me that you go with the fake tree? Yeah, that's right. I like this. Okay. Okay. You, you, you got to go with the fake tree. Done with the needles, the dog drinking out all the, you know, the water under the tree. You know, I'm done with the overpriced tree. We got, we got the fake tree. Now, I've just... I've divided the flock here today as a shepherd. This is not what I'm supposed to be doing. I, I think I can get us unified all together, though, whether fake or real. I think what really matters is that feeling that you get when you light that tree and that nostalgic feeling, that sense of Christmas, the Christmas spirit comes upon you. I think lighting the tree is really where it's all about. This year we, had a, we have a pre-lit tree, but the problem with those pre-lit trees is they don't stay lit for very long. I had to light the whole tree again, but I did it right. 1,200 bulbs on the tree, three hours putting that thing, but it, but it looks great in the window. So we've got the tree lit. We love, and we love as, as uh, people that celebrate Christmas, we love lighting the tree. It brings back that nostalgic feeling. People travel all over the, from all over the world to come to places like New York City and go to Rockefeller Center and see the lighting of the tree or going down to see the national Christmas tree. We love it. In fact, we love it so much. We've been doing this since before they invented electric lights. Do you know they used to put pin candles to their Christmas tree? I mean, can you imagine the fire hazard of pinning candles to your Christmas tree and little Johnny comes up and bumps the tree and you know, the whole house goes up in flames. You know, Merry Christmas to you as well. This is something we've been doing for a long, long time. Now, do you know the origin of the Christmas tree lighting? Do you know who started this? It was actually started by Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer in the 16th century Germany. And the reason he came up with this idea of the, the candles, as, it, as, as the story goes is uh, he was reading through the Gospel of John, the very text that we're reading right now, and he wanted to give his congregation a symbol, a way of 
celebrating Jesus as the light of the world that came that first Christmas. And so we light candles, hopefully not on our tree anymore, but we do put them on our tree. I want to read John's uh, prologue again. I want to read just the first 11 verses. I want you to hear what the gospel writer has to say about the light of the world. Just listen, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Last week, we started the prologue looking at the first three verses, and we saw Jesus as the word. That is the logos, the divine personal reason, the creator of everything that exists, and the very reason for your life today. That's what we looked at last week. This week, we're going to see three things that we need to know about Jesus as the light, as John puts it. We're going to see the purpose of the light. We're going to see the rejection of the light. And then thirdly, we're going to see the witness to the light. So that's the outline of your following and taking notes. Let's talk about the purpose of the light. Let's look again at verse 4. John says, in him, that is Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The word light here is used seven times in John's prologue, and anyone familiar with the Old Testament, the original hearers or listeners, would have immediately perked up and said, oh, the light, that sounds really familiar. They would have known the prophecy about the Messiah and what he would do when he came. We heard it read, but let me read it to you again from Isaiah 9-2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And then Isaiah goes on to describe the ministry and the, the character, the nature of this Messiah, the light of the world. So the Messiah, it was said that when the Messiah comes, he was going to dawn on the darkness of the world and bring an everlasting light. Now, John wasn't only making his connection to Jesus as the light from Isaiah. He was, but he's also listening to Jesus' words himself. Jesus said many times, I'm the fulfillment of this messianic prophecy. I'll give you just one example of John 8, 12, when he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, what does it mean that Jesus is the light? We clearly don't mean that Jesus' energy particles you know, coursing through the world that you can send through a prism and make a rainbow. That's not what we mean when we say Jesus is the light. It's a metaphor, of course. And so what is this metaphor describing? Well, I think Isaiah, Jesus, John, 
all mean at least three things about Jesus as the light. And let me just introduce the first one because it's going to be the topic next week. Uh, Jesus, as a light, gives life. Light gives life. And John and Jesus equate life and light in the scriptures that we just read. The kind of light that Jesus brings is, is much like the light of creation in Genesis 1 when, when uh, it says, let there be light, and life began to team in the world through creation. So Jesus brings the light, which equates to life. Now, that kind of sets up where we're going to go next week. Let's look at the second thing that I think John is telling us. Light illuminates reality. Light illuminates reality. I don't know about you. I like to sleep in pitch black. Any of you like to sleep in the pitch black? We have, uh, you know, blackening shades at our house. Sometimes when we go on vacation, I bring black trash bags and I will literally take painter's tape up and I will I will tape up the windows. This is a very classy move, by the way. Shannon loves this. Uh, there's just endless joys being married to me. Uh, this is just one of them. Um, the downside of sleeping in the pitch black uh, is I drink a lot of water and I'm over 40 now, which means I have to get up and go to the bathroom usually at some point in the night. Now, I have taken this uh, track from my bed to the bathroom many times on the way back, but every once in a while, you know, once every couple of months, I will jam my thigh into the corner of our bed and it will hurt so bad and I'll make a commotion and wake up Shannon. Again, the joys, endless joys of being married to me as well. What what we might say is the, the, the darkness, the darkness prevented me blinded me from the reality of the bed frame, right? And because of that darkness, it brought danger into my life. Now, if I was smart, I would carry a a flashlight or the light of my phone around. I'm not that bright. But if I did, I would avoid the danger because I would be faced with reality. See, navigating life without light is dangerous, Light illuminates physical reality. Light shows us the nature of what something is. It tells us the truth of what is there. It's why we have headlights on our car when we drive at night, because we want to know the reality of what's there and avoid danger. And John is saying something about who Jesus is. See, Jesus as the light illuminates ultimate reality so that we can avoid danger. He illuminates the ultimate reality existentially, spiritually, actually about everything in the universe. For example, Jesus illuminates the reality of who God is. He says in John 14, 9, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus illuminates the glory of God. We see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Jesus illuminates the reality of salvation. He says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Jesus illuminates the reality of the very, the very embodiment of truth. Jesus says in John 18, 37, in fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus illuminates reality, the reality of our purpose, 
our identity, the reality of our relationships, even the reality of our pain and disappointments, life and death, everything is illuminated by Jesus. He does it so that we can avoid not just hitting our thigh on bedposts, but existentially missing out on avoiding the ultimate danger of missing heaven, the ultimate danger of not dwelling in the light, but dwelling in darkness, the place where the absence of God dwells. See, Jesus is the light. Jesus' light is like a beacon into the darkness. It's in the, a beacon in the darkness in the day that Jesus was here 2,000 years ago, and it's a beacon into the darkness in our modern culture today. We live in a world that has undermined the idea of capital T truth. There is no capital T truth. There are just little personal truths of moral relativism. You want to know or you want to find light? Well, don't look up. Look in. Just find your light inside of you. Look inside yourself and discover truth on your own. But Jesus, the light of the world, says, until you look to me, you will never see ultimate reality. You will be groping in the darkness before you come to the light. And that's why every testimony of anyone who comes to Christ is a testimony of coming out of the darkness into the light. It's, it's a testimony of like that beggar who was blind that Jesus healed. His testimony was simple. I was blind, but now I see. And that's a story we get to share when he turns on our lights. Jesus illuminates ultimate Reality. Thirdly, I think what John is telling us is that Jesus as the light exposes darkness. He exposes darkness. Uh, when my wife and I first got married, we moved to a tiny little one-bedroom apartment in the D.C. metro area. It was very simple. We didn't care, though, because we were young and in love, and you, know, you just don't care about that kind of stuff. And we wanted to get, you know, we were just excited to get out of our parents' houses, quite frankly. Um, we were all excited about this apartment until we found out that this apartment complex had a roach problem. And I found this out the hard way because one night I flicked on the light and like a dozen roaches just scurried back into the darkness. I mean, even saying this makes my skin crawl. I don't know about you. I don't trust any creature that can survive a nuclear holocaust. uh, And roaches are certainly one of them. So needless to say, it was time to move. (laughs) And move, we did. Light exposes what hides in the darkness. Let me ask you a question. Do you know of any creature, anything that is cuddly and lovable and cute that hides in darkness? I, I don't know. Maybe there is one. You can, you can send it to me later. But I think, like, maybe God is trying to tell us something about nature. <laughs> that things that hide in the dark, it represents evil. And this is the spiritual metaphor that John's giving. It's a spiritual metaphor that's all throughout the scriptures. Purity of light and darkness of evil. And what John is saying, I believe, is that the beauty The purity of Jesus exposes spiritual darkness. Listen to what Jesus says about himself, John 3, 19. 
This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. He's talking about himself. But people love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who, who does evil hates the light and does not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. The ultimate purity and beauty of God manifests in Jesus exposes that which is in darkness. See, Jesus was utterly sinless. When he came, he was the perfect embodiment of love and justice and compassion and grace and humility. Think about his ministries presented in the Gospels. He healed the sick. He encouraged the brokenhearted. He served the poor. Never once did he have an impure motive or evil thought. Every desire was motivated by truth and grace. In other words, he was utterly unique from any human being that had ever walked the face of the earth, then or today. And because of, his, of the exposure to that kind of pure radiance of his light, the darkness of the world, it says, the darkness of the human heart did not want to face it. Like the cockroach is just scattering back into the darkness. They cannot take the light. It's too pure. See, the purity of his life was in stark contrast to the world that he entered 2,000 years ago. Just as it would be if he came today. Imagine if the incarnation of Jesus happened in 2023 in one of the cities in America. Anywhere in our country. Anywhere in the world. What would his purity expose? Imagine how the light of his humble service would stand out in stark contrast to the power hunger of the political world. Imagine how the light of his tenderness and compassion toward the marginalized would expose the darkness of our apathy and our greed. Or how the light of his forgiveness and mercy would expose our resentment and bitterness and a, and a cycle of revenge and vengeance. Or how the light of his purity would expose the darkness of, of entertainment and social media. Imagine what his light of his truthful words would expose in the darkness of the things hidden and whispered in office buildings or in schools or even in religious institutions. But it's not just the darkness out there that he would expose. Friends, he would expose the darkness that in, is in every single one of our hearts, that hide out in the corners of our hearts, the things that we don't want anyone or think that no one sees in our lives. How would the world today receive the light of Jesus? How would you, if he showed up today, receive the light of Jesus? Would you humbly step into the light or would you scurry back into the darkness out of fear, out of exposure? This question leads us to the second thing that John wants us to know about Jesus. We're going to look at the rejection of the light. Verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Verse 10, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, he did, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Jesus, the light of the world, was rejected by the very world that he made. Now, verses 10 and 11 
seem to be repeating themselves, right? John seems to be saying the same thing, but maybe in a little bit different way. I actually think he's saying something different. He, he's talking about two different groups. A lot of times the word world is used to describe the Gentiles, and I think that's what he's doing here. The, the world, that is the Gentiles, did not receive him, did not recognize him, and his own. And I think here he's talking about his own people, that is the Jewish people, did not receive him. They missed him as well. See, both Jesus, excuse me, just both the, the religious and the Gentiles, the irreligious, the rebellious, missed him. And they both missed him equally. There's no difference. They all, all fall short of the glory of God. Absolutely, every single one of them were in the exact same spot in missing Jesus, but they missed him in different ways. Say, so what do you mean by that? Well, I think if we go back to verse 5, I think it, it, John kind of hints at this. It says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, this Greek word overcome can be translated one of two ways. And maybe your version has it a different way than what you see up on screen. Overcome, it can either be to overcome, that is overpower in kind of a hostile takeover. Or it can mean uh, understand or comprehend, same word. So the, the world did not overpower or the world did not understand or comprehend the light. They say, well, which one is it? Yes, both, I think, is the answer. I think John is talking about both. I think it's true based on verse 10 and 11, but I think it's true if you watch Jesus' ministry. This is exactly what happened. See, people, when Jesus came the first time, rejected him two different ways. Some people look to overcome him. That is to overpower him, to rebel against him. Tried to uh, stop his ministry, eventually killing him. On the other hand, there's people that thought they understood him, thought they comprehended him, thought they were following him, but were not actually following him. They had their own agendas for Jesus. They had, their, they had misconceptions about who Jesus was and why he came. Even people within his own family misunderstood why he came. So how does this play out in today's world? I think we do the exact same thing. We, we experience Jesus. We reject Jesus in the same two ways. Our world, either on one hand, seeks to overpower Jesus or be hostile towards Jesus. There's many people in our world that say, well, Jesus didn't really, you know, die on the cross. He didn't, he didn't raise from the dead. We don't believe it. it's just a made-up story by those in power. Or people that just say, well, you know what, I don't really believe in absolute truth, period. I don't really believe that there's, you know, a per somebody we're personally accountable to or a God or anything like that. I don't want somebody telling me how to live my life. I don't want somebody telling me what I can and cannot do. I don't need a savior, right? So some people reject him. A friend of mine, a guy that um, I've gotten to know a little bit over at the, the YMCA, this is what he'll say. We, we talk sometimes and one time, just in a really honest spiritual conversation, he said, listen, nothing against you, but I just don't want this Jesus like running my life. I don't want to have to like obey someone. I want to be able to run my own life. And so I try to say, well, you know, it's kind of like a healthy marriage, you know, in a healthy marriage, you, you're willing to sacrifice your own will in order to please the other person, to, to serve the other person. So it's not so much like obeying, it's more like you want to serve them. He says, well, that's exactly why I'm not married. <laughs> you have a good point. Okay. All right. So I have to, I have to think more about this. Okay. Um, 
But you see what I'm saying, and, and there's many people, maybe you're here today, and that's sort of your posture towards Jesus, towards God. So I don't, I, you might not call it hostility, but that's essentially what it is. I don't, I don't want you running my life. I don't want you interfering in my life. I, I want to be able to control my own life. And to you, I would just ask you really sincerely, how's that going for you? Genuinely, how is it going for you? Do you have joy? Do you have a sense of peace in your life? Do you have a sense of, of satisfaction in your life? Even when things are going poorly in your life, what, what's your spirit? How are your relationships? Do you ever, are you ever concerned about what is going to happen one day when you're not on this planet anymore? Do you, how is that going genuinely? Because Jesus offers as the light to give us those things that our hearts ultimately desire. So some in our world are hostile towards Jesus. Others think that they are following Jesus. There's people, lots of people in this world that would say, oh yeah, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus. They might even on a survey, you know, well, I'm not Muslim, I'm not, you know, this or that. I, I, I guess I'm Christian. Or they would even joyfully describe themselves as Christian. They might go to a church. They might attend a, a, a prayer service. They might give money or serve. Or they might be really good moral people. And yet, they're actually not following Jesus. They have some misconception about Jesus, who Jesus is or why he came. Maybe they have their own agenda for Jesus. Maybe if you ask them, you know, if you died tonight and you stood before Jesus and he asked you, why should I let you into my kingdom? Maybe they'd say something like, well, because I tried to be a really good person. I think I've done a lot of good things for people. Or I, I grew up in church. You know, my, my mom or dad was a, a leader in the church. We gave money to good causes. You know, I try not to judge people. I, I recycle. I'm a vegan. I, I adopt not shop for my pet or whatever other thing that think, they think makes them a good person. But see, here's what Jesus said. I didn't come, I didn't come to make good people better. I actually came to make dead people alive. That's, that's different. See, Jesus didn't just come and say, hey, here's some ways, here's some advice about living a better life, to be a better person, to be more, uh, you know, more of who, who you were really meant to be. He did do those things. He definitely told us how to live. But the ultimate reason he came was to overcome the darkness, the evil that is in this world, and ultimately the evil that is in every single one of our hearts. The Bible calls sin. Stepping away from the goodness of God and his way to live. See, what he did in coming to overcome the darkness was he brought his absolute purity of his light to overcome the darkness of this world. He did it by dying on the cross in our place as a substitute for our sin, for the darkness that resides in every single one of our hearts, to purify us, to cleanse us forever and ever. He rose again to show he conquers darkness and death. And until we embrace our, our need for a savior and recognize our own darkness, the Bible says that we cannot be in the light because he dwells in unapproachable light, the Bible says. And no one is good enough to be, be holy or spotless enough to get there. 
only Jesus. He is the sacrifice. He is the substitute. And so have you recognized your need for a savior? Maybe you think, well, I've already, I'm already kind of following him because I go to church. Friend, have you recognized the need that's in your heart? Here's, here's the wonderful news of Christmas. The light of Christmas in the face of Jesus is constant towards you. The light never goes out. He's always ready for you to receive that light, to walk into the light and no longer stay in the shadows. I'd encourage you to embrace that light. Embrace the light of Jesus. Whether you're looking to overpower his light or you think you're following but you have a misconception. So we looked at Jesus, the purpose of Jesus. We looked at as the light. We looked at the the rejection of Jesus as the light. Thirdly and finally, we want to take a, just a couple of minutes and talk about the witness to the light. The witness to the light. Look at verse 6. We skipped this section. We're coming back to it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The Apostle John is not speaking about himself in third person. He is actually speaking about another John. He's talking about John the Baptist. And we know this because down in verse 15, he'll go on to describe John the Baptist's ministry as the witness out in the wilderness uh, to the ministry to the light of Jesus. Now, this term witness is a word that, that John's gospel uses a lot, not just to describe John the Baptist, but to describe uh, the disciples. Uh, he then uses it to describe in John 17 that we, all of us who know Jesus Christ, will be witnesses out in our world. Um, Acts 1.8, another, another account of, of Jesus from Luke, uh, says that in the Great Commission that we will be his witnesses in the world. Uh, Jesus says that we become the light of the world. You say, well, how can we be the light of Jesus' the light? What he means by that is when you come to faith in Jesus, the light of Christ dwells inside of you. And so you have the light, you reflect that light into the world. So this idea of being the light of the world or being a witness is not just for John the Baptist, it's for all of us. And I think what John is doing here in his gospel is emphasizing at the very beginning of his gospel this really critical truth that human witnesses to the light of Christ are absolutely necessary, absolutely critical. Listen to what Pastor John Piper says about this. He says, the light has come into the world, but as light does not conquer this darkness the way a bolt of lightning brightens the sky, the night, his light is going to conquer darkness by lighting millions of cold, dead human torches with the oxygen and fuel of the gospel. This is what it means to be a witness. See, we serve a saving and a sending God. He is a, we might call him a missionary God. He sends us out on a mission. God has always used human witnesses as his primary means of accomplishing his mission of reconciliation and salvation through Jesus Christ in the world. This is the way, this, this is the way it works is that when we come out of the darkness into the light, when we accept Christ in our, in our life, it, it's sort of like the light gets turned on. And then we take that light and we show that to others and help turn on their lights. 
That's kind of the picture. We, we call this evangelism. I know that's kind of a dirty word today, but that's essentially what we're doing. We're helping to turn on the lights in other people. We're revealing who Jesus is and sharing the gospel in word and deed, in demonstration and declaration. And I believe this is God's plan A and there isn't another a plan B. This is his way, his means to make his gospel known. Now this ought to do two things in us if we have the light of Christ in us. On one hand, it ought to motivate us. It ought to make us say, yeah, we want to be this light. I, I don't want to, you know, do with that kid's old kid's Chris, uh, uh, song, you know, uh, what do you call it? Yeah, just a kid's song, uh, hide it under a bushel. I don't want to do that. I want to let it shine, right? This is what we ought to do. We ought to want to let that shine in our schools, in our work, in our home, in our neighborhood. Everywhere we go, we bring the light of Christ with us. So the question is not whether or not we have it, but whether or not we're hiding it whether or not we're hiding it. That should motivate us. Now, there's lots of great ways to do this, especially in the Christmas season. First of all, we ought to be shining the light of Christ through our character, through the way in which we live. It's through our love that the world knows that we belong to Christ. If you're not willing to do that, don't open your mouth. So we demonstrate it through our love, but we also do it through our words. There are invitations through telling people about the reason for the season, as it were. Inviting people to some of our Christmas season events. You can invite them here for a Christmas Eve service. Or uh, tell, tell someone the origin of the Christmas tree story I told you earlier. That can introduce people. You can ask how you can be praying for people. Show them hospitality during this season. Invite them into your home. Do a Christmas ornament exchange. There's, there's a thousand different ways that we can do this. We can share with people the reason for the hope that lies within us in a world that's desperately seeking hope. We are to shine the light into our world. That should motivate us, but it also, if we have the light of Christ in us, it ought to also humble us. It's a humbling thought, isn't it? John's gospel says that John the Baptist was not the light. He was a witness to the light. John's purpose was to point people to the light. In fact, John the Baptist said himself, I must decrease and he, Jesus, must increase. My light needs to dim. His light needs to shine bright. And this is the same humility that the Apostle Paul had. Listen to what he says so beautifully in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 5 through 7. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure. What is that treasure? The light of Christ, the gospel, in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. What a beautiful way of saying it. You and I are like jars of clay, no, not like the 90s Christian band. We, we, we contain the light in, in this jar that we carry around with us. The jar, there's nothing special about the jar. It's just a vessel for the light. That's what he's saying. And the light is Christ, not us. So that's my goal as I preach to you. Like Paul said, not to preach myself. God forbid I try to preach the light of Nate. 
I preach the light of Christ. I, I, my goal to, even though I might have the, the microphone on, is to, to let you know that I'm, I'm just like any of you. I'm an ordinary vessel like any of us to shine the light of Christ. And so as we close here this, this morning, this Advent season, friends, what a great opportunity we have to carry the light of Christ into our world. What a great opportunity. So much darkness in the world, and there's only one light that can overcome it. It's the light of Christ. Let him be the light. Share it with eagerness. Share it with humility. And if you are here today, maybe you really genuinely don't know the light. Maybe you thought you knew the light, or maybe you've been actively fighting against this light. Maybe today the Lord is speaking to you, is wanting to shine and illuminate your heart today. I want to invite you, give an opportunity for you to embrace that light. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's, let's just take a moment as, a, as hearers of this word, as readers of this gospel account to reflect ourselves. And just ask yourself, do you know this light? Is this light in you? Do you know Jesus? Not know about Jesus. Know, do you know him? Do you know that he came not just to be a good moral teacher, but he came to make dead men alive? Do you know that he forgives sin? Forever, like eternally, past, present, future, your whole rap sheet. Have you embraced him as the savior, the savior of your life? Have you really trusted what he's done for you? Or are you still trying to hold on to your own goodness, your own light? Friends, I encourage you to to exchange the, the flashlight for the sun. <laughs> exchange your little light for the brightness of the sun, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And you can do that simply. You can say a simple prayer, something like, God, I recognize that I have darkness in my heart. I have sin. And I recognize that separates me from a God of light. I believe that Jesus died for me. The light came into the world and shined in the world and shined in my heart. And I trust what Jesus has done for me, what I couldn't do for myself. Forgive me, cleanse me, purify me forever and ever. Not that, not that I'll be sinless, but that you will see me through the complete purity the lens of Jesus Christ. Come into my life forever. And that's you today. I want to encourage you to tell someone that you came with and that invited you, or you, maybe you've been here for a while, but come down. There we have a prayer team after the service. We would love to be able to pray for you and encourage you in that. Come and talk to a pastor or somebody you know, but tell us so we can help you in this journey toward the light. And for all of us, Lord, may we be a witness to that light. 
In Jesus' name, amen.